Three, two, one. Welcome. This is Heltilla Weekly Podcast, episode number 12, coming out live from both Finland and in Singapore in the middle of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and crisis across the world, which is spreading uh, really rapidly currently uh, across the uh, across the world, basically. And we've been dealing with this for, for quite quite some time now. Um, but um, we thought that it would be really um, useful for everyone to really dive in a bit deeper um, in terms of the, the pandemic, in terms of the, the disease itself, the virus, the spread, the measures we can take to contain it, and why, for example, different people get different uh, levels of illness and all, all that sort of stuff. And for, for that, we have a special guest tonight. Um, um, uh, we have... Dr. Jursi Leinonen, who's an MD, PhD, data scientist, former ER doctor, and also the uh, also the medical advisor in our HealthZilla team um, at the same time. Welcome, Jussi. Uh, thank you very much, Nico. It's, it's my pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So could you uh, give us a, a, a um, short background into yourself and, um, and um, you know, what drives you? Yeah. So yes, so my background is that after graduation, I actually worked uh, in the intensive care unit and also a lot in the ER. Uh, for after a while, I, I decided to go deeper in the science field and uh, uh, me and my family, we actually moved to Israel where I completed my PhD in stem cell biology. And and we returned from we were there for four years and returned to Finland uh, five years ago or almost six years ago, and, and I continued my research and also practiced in, the, in did clinical practice mostly in the ER, and and now the last uh, two and a half years I've been working in the ph pharmaceutical ind industry in global clinical trials. And uh, and basically being in the management team and leading these big big multinational uh, studies and and now my la latest career step was to be start as a principal data scientist in clinical trial field uh, and that's something I'm now working a lot on how to build up the advanced analytic capabilities in the in the complex field of clinical trials so that's my background it's fantastic so you have a very deep um, deep understanding and expertise in the medical medical field um, both on the pharmaceutical data and the actual clinical practice as well uh, which is very suitable for for our current discussion um, obviously now going into the the whole covid 19 discussion um and there's been multiple discussions in the media um podcast and people spreading all sorts of rumors and f fake news and false um facts and 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 you name it um so it's it sort of um it would be useful for us to start sort of um, taking this into piecemeal uh, from the beginning, I guess one of the one of the sort of common nuances, which you still see, not as much as previously, like a month ago, but you still see um, quite a lot in social media um, and then so forth. At least is is the and and I have to I have to admit this was something that I I uh, purported as well in the beginning. I remember somewhere in January, in February, still I was um, mentioning to some of my friends that yes, um, well, if you look at the the 
case fatality rates of the, the seasonal flu, for example, then, then that would be far higher than what we currently see with, uh, with the, with the um, coronavirus pandemic or epidemic at that stage. But little did I know I was completely wrong in this um, in this assumption, and and I'm not alone in this. There's been probably millions of people thinking the same thing. Um, but so from from your angle, uh, you see what what would um, what would be the main differences between a, a seasonal flu and the uh, coronavirus COVID nineteen um, disease? Yeah, yeah. Of course, we are, I have to like uh, emphasize that we when we do the comparison, it's. Usually the season set seasonal influenza, not the flu itself. Oh yes, flu, yeah, absolutely. Flu, yeah, so flu it's multiple viruses, and they are usually causing only mild disease. Sure. Uh, and 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 uh, so influenza is the comparison. Uh, the main, I think, what caused the big surprise and where there is so much confusion, and and even the 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 epidemiologists who are have are in the high pre- prestige. Uh, are still really confused is that that it's the the virulence how easily it spreads that's the, the that was the surprise mm. because usually it's in, in these previous uh, coronavirus um, epidemics it's been like quite uh, the the symptoms has have been really uh, serious and the and it was easy to track. Uh, and the, who who was in contact with the person who had the virus, and they could isolate those people, put them in quarantine, and then they it was uh, they could uh, stop the epidemic from spreading. Mm. But now there is something happening, and, and now I think that's the really the biggest difference because now there is even like uh, uh, now it's said already that it's mostly droplet paste. Could be the method method of spreading the virus, meaning sneezing, coughing, and and then of course then it's a limited uh, range how it spreads. So basically, that's why we are keeping the distance of two meters or something, depending on the country how they instruct. But basically, yeah. this distance so distancing. So if somebody coughs, we won't wouldn't get the viral particles to our system. Uh, but there is also this kind of uh, hypothesis that it could be also aerosol, and mm. that's a difficult thing if it's an aerosol, and that could maybe explain. But that's only a hypothesis, but it's something brought up. But anyway, there is something special, like uh, if if you if you uh, discuss about the mortality rates or how what big percentage of people patients are going to the intensive care unit because of the serious lung lung uh, reactions that's maybe not even so high if 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 there is because this this background that we are actually thinking it's just spreading the prevalence is so high mm. that even if it's if if it's 1% of 500,000 people it's 50,000 people getting get, going to the ICU so that's like the, it's mean now it it seems more like it's actually the the virulence is so high yes that that's causing this uh, really high load to all the health system around the world so that's yeah that's the difference basically now yeah you mentioned an interesting point which is the the virology and basically the spread of the virus itself because and and this brings us into the r naught discussion r naught technically well, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Josip, but means how quickly uh, or how many 
people can you as a as a virus um, infected virus um, person can you know infect uh, on, on, onwards. There's been like discussions and estimates uh, of the R not for um, for this coronavirus to be um, any or coronavirus. What what is COVID two uh, SARS COVID two, which is the official name of the virus, um, to be around two point five. I've seen estimates um, to around five to around five even. Um, yeah. So I guess the, I guess what we are struggling with as a as a humanity right now is that. We don't actually know what this number is. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's the like. Yeah, it's been two and five, but we we are actually that's why even in Finland we are now try. There is this endeavor that we start doing a really really uh, when we get this um, immunoassay based testing, we can test how many people have actually already have the antibodies against the disease so they already had had the virus yeah. infection and after we see that and if it, if the, if it's something like some experts believe it could be really high numbers if that's the truth then there are are it's much higher so exactly so and i we, guess yeah i guess some indications i i can't remember whether whether it was the icelandic study um, or something. I think it was the Icelandic study that that you can have almost half of the people because in Iceland they they uh, they are able to test such a high proportion of the total population um, that they actually get a get a bit more accurate picture of this. And what they reported, if I'm not rem um, remembering this incorrectly, is that almost half of the the um, people who tested positive for um, SARS-CoV-2 actually did did not have any or very mild symptoms uh, yeah, in the first yeah. place, which might explain or support the hypothesis that, that the r not could actually be much higher as well. And the only way to, to really know this over time is by doing the ser serological tests, which you mentioned, uh, who actually carries the antibodies into this already, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that will bring us much closer to the truth. So now we are only based on basically these cases, what we it's based on basically on the political or how this decision, how it's done this decision, how to do the testing because uh, yeah. there's limited resources everywhere. Absolutely. So, um, and, and why, why, why at this situation, there's no reason to start testing non symptomatic patients mm -hmm. or even there is now actually, I think, initiatives that they will start testing healthcare professionals even yeah. without symptoms. Which is actually quite logical, maybe, but that's um, that's in in my point of view because that's the worst place to spread the disease is healthcare facilities. Indeed, indeed. So if if we sort of make a quick comparison of is the, the and it, it's interesting to um, look at the discussion and read the discussion online about um, uh, the whole situation. Um, many are saying that well, this is an unprecedented situation and all that. Um, yes, it is an unprecedented situation, but not. It's only within the last century. If you look at look at the world, 102 years ago, we actually had the the last um, even closely comparable situation with the Spanish flu, right? Um, which yeah. ended up ended up killing, or give or take, around 50 million people, depending on which sources you look at. And even for that, I guess the 
studies afterwards have determined a median R0 of about two, uh, which is relatively low. Obviously, back then we didn't have the, the healthcare facilities and tracking systems and so forth to contain it. But um, how would you compare this to, um, to that um, epidemic or pandemic, which we last saw um, 100 years ago? Yeah, uh, I have to say I'm not so familiar with the, the exact history, yeah. but, uh, but, but no what I know about that, I know it's like uh, the spread was considerably slower. Of course, yeah. we have now it, it, the, the whole system and why people have been so worried about the next pandemic and why there's been, like even in, in when I was in med school, I take, took a, like a tropical disease course. And, and it was really, all the experts have known this, so it's not unprecedented in a way that all the experts have been, it's said that every hundred years we have a pa real pandemic. Uh, so the question was kind of, uh, even when this began, that is this the re the next pandemic or not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think there was a nice writing in, I think it was new in, in New England Journal of Medicine from Bill Gates, who was kind of already, I think quite early stage here saying, are we witnessing now the next real pandemic or something? Okay. I think the title, and that's the thing that it's not unprecedented. It's just because people forget, and there's no one, or there is few people alive who actually have yeah. witnessed, witnessed the Spanish flu. <laughs> but they, are, but but still, like people forget, and it's it's in, it's uh, this is a proof again that uh, that many countries didn't believe, even those with with really safe. Uh, especially those with, with who weren't maybe haven't been in wars anything they are really they they didn't think that there's something what that can be a, like this kind of kind of a global threat mm -hmm. and, and 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 we are not just we just weren't prepared enough to do all kind of um, restrictions so in quick scale like quick scale and uh, so uh, so it would be able to like confine that you know, this kind of infection yeah, you're right. Uh, but, you're... But, yeah, but, the, yeah, but the comparison to Spanish flu is, of course, that then, then people didn't even have a really good understanding and we didn't have... Now we actually have the data, so we can actually even see how it's, it's witnessed in, in the global scale, how it's progressing, and then they didn't have that. And of course, like you said, they didn't have uh, any intensive care-like care -like possibilities yeah. and so on. So the mortality... If we talk about mortality, then uh, if we compare it, I, I, so I'm not an epidemiologist and I couldn't make a full comparison, but I would say that we, all the people now going to hospital would probably have died at that point of oh, yeah. time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It is an interesting, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Bill Gates um, mentioning about this. Um, I guess it was, uh, what, two years ago, uh, he, he hosted a TED Talk or something where he was mentioning that the next critical threat towards humanity will not be wars or such, but a epidemic or pandemic or such, uh, such like. So he has been quite vocal about this at least, but I guess um, not many of us uh, actually listened to that too carefully as well. As you can see, you know, even even though we, we think we live in a very modern society, at least in, in, in large parts of the world with a high degree medical um, systems in place, um, still, um, we are uh, there are like instances if you look at northern Italy the Lombardy region you look at Spain you look at um, you know New York area right now it's a full-on war zone out there it's uh, uh, the healthcare system uh, systems are breaking down 
doctors are needing to um, make very hard choices in terms of um, you know critical supplies such as ventilators and so forth. Um, so, is, I mean, do you think that societies would somehow learn from this going forwards? And and like because it, it it seems to me like so unbelievable the situation at least because I've been a big believer in the in the uh, in the modern medical science and and now this sort of shakes everything away yeah i think yeah we will learn but i how, how long the memory will be that's uh, always like 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 i don't know actually the term but we have these um emergency stock or storages i don't know yeah. what's the vault maybe vault is the yeah. correct name uh, in Finland, and that's like uh, like something we have inherited from the the like the World Wars, basically the mm-hmm. Second World War, and it's still it it has been like uh, something similar been in Sweden, but they closed that because they thought they 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 don't need it anymore, and I would think that also in Finland, maybe in a few years, if this would have happened, we would maybe done the same thing, maybe. Yeah. So it's kind of like when the uh, when the generation passed, then probably the, it forgets. But I'm quite certain that this will bring out uh, this kind of uh, that we will be ready if there is a next one. Yeah. Uh, of course, will there be a next one, and and or is it the ne- or this is like once in a uh, century thing and happening again hundred years from now exactly nobody knows nobody yeah. knows uh, of, you can like of course suppose that because we have so high number of and it's going up the the uh, how many inhabitants we have in the world and 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 we have this really high amount of traffic con- transcontinental traffic that it would help these kind of viruses to spread so maybe it could be that it's not uh, it's shorter periods of time than once in a hundred years, mm-hmm. but Absolutely. but but yeah yeah. But no no nobody of course knows. But uh, I would expect really strongly that after this we have a high high like priority to be ready for this kind of uh, a phenomenon again. Yeah, you're you're right, and it's um and going back to how societies actually learn. You look at some of the these the Asian countries um, who had the the most impact from the previous SARS epidemic back back in seventeen years ago, um, countries like Hong Kong, um, Taiwan, and Singapore. Um, there seems to be a tendency for these areas to have been much more prepared towards this. If you look at, for example, how Hong Kong reacted to the first outbreaks in in Wuhan area. They already started closing down the society back in January, and the the rates there have been relative. The, the the infection rates there have been relatively low compared to other areas. The same same in same goes in Taiwan and Singapore. Not to say that that's the best approach uh, because it's it's come with a big cost, but at least it seems that that these areas who had the most severe impact back in 2003 um, then had actually learned something from it by doing the, the contact tracing and, uh, and quarantining um, the, the infected people immediately, i.e. taking them out of the, the sort of normal social circulation. And then by that means, uh, you know, uh, slowing down the spread. Um, it's interestingly though, you know, because uh, uh, I live in Singapore and Singapore is taken like a very smooth approach towards this. 
by implementing the, the, the sort of first measures already back in January as well, and then slowly tightening them up, slowly like slowing down the society, um, uh, implementing some measures of social distancing, and with heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on contact tracing and um, um, isolating the, the uh, known cases and suspect cases as well. Only today, just before we, start, we started this podcast, we actually here in Singapore, even the Prime Minister Lee Hsien Lung um, announced that, that schools will now close and workplaces will close because of the local community related spread had been on the increase for the past two weeks. Um, so, so there are examples of societies that, that at least seems to um, have learned something from the from the p- previous epidemics. Obviously, I guess it, we are a bit too early to say whether these actually work or not. But um, so far, it's 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 been it's been good. Now, what do you what do you think you see that that um, place the place the sort of majority or 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 biggest role? Um, for countries like Italy, Spain, and now the whole U- whole of US, starting from New York, are are struggling like severely struggling with this situation. Um, what do you think drives that? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good question, <laughs> and and also of course we have to see uh, like understand that we are now collecting the data. <laughs> and and all, only like after we will actually get the answers, and hopefully then we can really understand what happened. But 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 of course you can see from some like like you said in Singapore, you had this kind of a society which basically obeys orders. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that's quite contradictory. Maybe what our like um, liberal democratic societies in the Western Europe think. Mm-hmm. So there is this kind of a, even like it's a completely different approach. Uh, in in, uh, in it's also this more I think more than medical. This is societal and even philosophical questions. So kind yeah, of yeah. A, what kind of a society or is it family centered like in Italy? So then mm-hmm. you probably meet many people and you are mixed. You you meet really old people in like a daily basis. And and also children and everybody is together and having like big kind of gatherings a lot. Like if you go, I think Finland is quite opposite in a way that we are quite individual centered. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have a lot of move, movement nowadays, and but we are still like not so not so social, social let's say. Yeah. That could be the one reason why it's in in the southern Europe. It's it's it's. Uh, it's more difficult that this is seems to be some for some reason more difficult or like we actually started this discussion does, does it mean that the disease is more difficult or does it mean just that it's spreading is so much higher yeah that yeah. The, it's actually prevalent it's 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 unbelievably high yeah so that's something of course they cannot do in italy or spain and at least i haven't read about because they, all the resources are now just controlling the catastrophe, basically. Mm-hmm. So they cannot even think now about how let's start testing nationwide, like uh, these zero uh, immunoglobulin levels. No, yeah, no, yeah. we don't. Yeah. So that's something we learn later. Yeah. Uh, so that's that could be the reason why. Also, of course, the population density plays a role. That's like a clear epidemiological thing. 
but then then you know like in Singapore you have a hugely yeah, like a really high population density mm. so I, I don't actually know by the numbers now what's the it's comparable to New York or it's not I don't know it is probably yeah it's quite maybe probable so it's that explains probably why in New York it spreads so easily because they didn't apply fast these control measures yeah. that could be one reason and and like combined with the population density such high that's like of course it's it's a red flag basically so i'm actually quite impressed in singapore how it's it's if how the curve is flattening yeah, and how flat it actually is and, and and but you probably because you live there you understand better how how that was possible but that's that's interesting. Of course, there's so many things we don't know. We don't know if there are yeah. certain populations who, who have like some some disease, like let's say the, like the, in, in Wuhan or wherever they had some coronavirus infections already, maybe even even something that that just remained unnoticed and they got some kind of cross immunity mm. to the current disease or maybe we don't know. So uh, it's, maybe there is even like population-based differences. How mm. how 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 the disease actually is is uh, like behaving? But yeah, but we are. Yeah. I think I think the questions will be answered. But no, now we just have to control mm. and try to do the optimal way. And then when we mix here the economics, then it's getting really complex because that's, of course, a huge, <laughs> question, huge question. Yeah, it is, it is. And, it, and it's not only economics, it's also about how, how much it actually costs also like medical uh, or uh, additional like uh, mortality and, and also like all other diseases because we don't know if we are health systems are overwhelmed with the COVID-19 cases so maybe and it's, it's quite clear already that we, of course we just that's that's something we also see like from the rear mirror but it's it's kind of uh, what happens to the other diseases and to how many how much increased in like um, <laughs> like medical yeah. burden we get yeah so it's it's yeah, yeah it's really complex it is, and it's it's interesting. Um, I'm sure you you've read a lot about, you know a lot about the, the herd immunity concept, which um, a few countries were talking about this. Um, UK in the beginning of this uh, this pandemic was um, sort of I think Boris Johnson mentioned mentioned something towards herd immunity, um, like that type of approach. We see countries like Sweden taking a really laid back approach towards uh, the current situation. Um, what is your view on on the whole herd immunity discussion? Because obviously there are there are two two sides to this. Um, one is to this based on my very um, low knowledge of the of the topic. So just bear with me a sec. So one is to um, flatten the curve, as per has been mentioned in many outlets, as, and as per what you mentioned as well, which is to ensure that the healthcare capacity uh, can handle the, the ICU patients and, and patients who require, require care. But then from a logical standpoint, that could potentially last for a longer period of time but with a much lower social cost versus actually then the herd immunity concept, whereby you would have a massive peak, but then you, you would actually uh, get a white uh, wide immunity in the in the society. What is your view on this? 
yeah, I think that now at least I haven't read any new new research papers on the topic, but I think the biggest problem is now that we don't know exactly how the immune immunity develops. And is it like long-term immunity or is it like a short-term immunity? Mm. So of course it's I think it's every every expert in the in the field of coronaviruses thinks it will be long term. What I understood, I'm not an expert in, in coronaviruses. Yeah. But but of course there is viruses where you know, we already know that there is a really short immunity for the virus. So so if that's true, if if there is only a few months, then we can see these second waves. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One reason. Yeah. And also, like, um, I think that's quite clear. Uh, like, that's I think now it's kind of a forbidden word to even speak about this herd immunity without the vaccination. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because we cannot reach really the levels required to have the herd immunity, basically means that there's no new outbreaks in the society. Mm-hmm. So that's what we are having with the current vaccinations for measles or or some other uh, like really highly infectious diseases uh, and then that means basically in, in our in a, like that it should be over 95 percent like uh, prevalence of immunity in the society or in, in the population yeah. so at least in these highly contagious so preventing outbreaks basically yeah. and and so i think that's something not really spoken about but of course uh, I think I think an inter- interesting approach here is that what at least what I read, which I think it's if we I don't know if we want to uh, under- discuss a little bit more about the solutions, how we could uh, kind of uh, loosen up. Also, maybe we go later here, but of course. kind of these Im- Im- immune like certificates. That's an interesting approach. Oh, I yeah. Yeah, that, that is. I, I did read something about that as well. That if you could, if if you would have those serological immunoglobulin tests to showcase that you have the immune for the currently ongoing disease, you then sort of go back to work or whatever. It it is an interesting concept. But obviously, I think we are uh, some time away from that before we can actually, um, you know, as as a global society, develop enough tests to to get there. Right. Yeah, that's that's question, good question, and that's like this kind of like uh, whole population testing. It's it's viable for for those like these Western highly developed uh, countries, basically. Yeah. So and to, for for like less developed countries, I I, see, I think it could be a, it's it's a problematic way to exit this situation. Uh, so that's why there is some interesting approaches with the like for example this kind of a part-time uh, like like it's a, it's a mathematical kind of a approach for this idea that there is certain you basically the population is divided to groups and then they are allowed to work certain days per week yeah, yeah. so that would, and this is something maybe which, which would like kind of help that the curve won't go exp- exponential again but it's still keeps people in the workforce and and decreases the unemployment rate and exactly exactly one one uh, thing which i um want to ask you you see about is is pro is something that that you can you hear more and more about in the media um and it can be something that a lot of media outlets actually use as 
I don't know. I don't really like the, the way of, of some of the media outlets actually um, uh, reporting about this, but you see these um, cases um, that even young people can, you know, get seriously ill or even die to this. Um, and, and some, you know, younger people get very ill. Some older people get a, one sneeze and that's it. So and and the, you can still like go and go and now test positive for um, SARS-CoV-2. So what do you think that causes such a different um, response in different populations or different individuals as well for this mm. disease? Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, it's quite clear. I think now that we cannot really say what has been the reason in, for these individual cases. But the truth, the truth behind this is actually that it's 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 also that influenza can kill young people. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's not like uh, so. The I think the real question here is how how rare it is. Mm. Like what kind of a percentage is? Is it, if it's one percent of mortalities are under people under thirty years old, I wouldn't be worried. That's true. But if it, yeah, but if it like I mean, uh, but if it's it, if it starts to be like it's equal to the over sixty years or over seventy years olds, then it's 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 a problematic, really really problematic thing, and it's not only like this kind of indu- individual or, uh, or or cases or kind of what kind of a pain it causes to the society or families. It's also like about all the whole can disturb whole functionality of societies if, if there is a really high like percentage of young people dying to the disease. Yeah. But I don't think we are seeing that at now in any way. But that I, I agree with you that it's not nice that they bring in the media these kind of cases. Yeah. I don't think it causes any benefit. It just adds on top of it causes like this kind of a click clicks, but it doesn't yeah. Yeah, it it doesn't help in any way because you can, if you want, you can basically find <laughs> like any disease and find the young people who died to that yeah, disease. Yeah, exactly. Now that's a, that's a really good point you raised, you see, about the data itself uh, and the, the mortality, or but within the people who actually succumb succumb to this uh, disease, then within that, what is the age distribution really? Is I would. I, I have seen some bits and pieces of data um, and that still, you know, the majority of the people who do unfortunately succumb to this disease are in the older um, and or um, having some sort of a, a, a disease background, of, um, a prevalent disease um, on the background of it as well. Um, so it, it's a great point that you raised that still you need to look at the data as a whole and not pick up cherry pick these cases because that just raises up fear um on you know unprecedented fear amongst the the population as well so it's a it's a good point but one 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 i think one 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 very thing i uh, think you have to also understand when talking about the young people so in the intensive care unit there is quite the number of young people if you yeah. consider under 50 year old young for example mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the idea of flattening the curve. So these people who are in the un- intensive care unit, they are in, uh, I don't know if you watch the video or so, but I, I've worked there and I know, I know how, uh, what kind of a treatments they get. It's, it's really highly, highly intensive and highly invasive treatments. 
and it's 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 also something I don't know in Finland. If you if we go to the I think it's some some ways it could be easy to understand by money, <laughs> some yeah. financial aspect. So so one one place in the IECU cost it was ten years ago I think it was two thousand euros per day. So yeah. so that's like the price for in Finnish uh, health system and that's like. Uh, compared to the normal uh, part, it's like I think twenty times more, or even yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's really high, high, high resource, highly costly resource, and 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 if we don't flatten the curve, we cannot even treat these young people, and then we see a spike mortality in the young people. That's so a, that's a very good point. Yeah. So so basically, the if we have a, the so in 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 that way, you can. Uh, retain your trust in the health or modern health system and medical medical practice because we actually have a way to treat the young, kind of the young people in this case as well but we just need to have the resources to do that and uh, it's not only tied to the ventilators which is in the media so much it's actually much more about the people, the nurses, especially the nurses and the physicians who work, because, for example, for ICU nurse, they say you have to be there two to three years to really learn yeah. to be an ICU nurse. So it's not like you can quickly train like from some other place, a few thousand people to do their job. It's actually really complex thing yeah. what they are doing there. So uh, um, yeah, so I think that's that's kind of the idea I see behind the whole flattening the curve and extreme measures that we can actually uh, utilize these for. To, so we won't be overwhelmed by those who so who we can save by the intensive care. Uh, that's probably I have to say, you see, that's probably you know one of well one very good. Um, like description of why we have to flatten the curve because it, it gives a more detailed um, analysis of the situation as well from a societal perspective too not not discriminating any age categories obviously but still um, which which is why um, I think we have to as a society um, do the painful effort and what this, the governments are telling us to do do the social distancing dance and all, all that type of stuff as well but if we um, if we sort of dive into a bit towards the medication uh, discussion uh, towards uh, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, and COVID-19 the disease itself now um, there's been a lot of discussion about well, the Trump medication, which which Trump referred to as as being a miracle, almost like a miracle cure, is the chloroquine uh, and hydro hydroxychloroquine or hydrochloroquine, yeah. um, uh, which is an old malarial um, um, medication. And there's been remdesivir and all sorts of HIV um, antivirals and, and all that type of stuff. What is your current view on this this medication situation? Um, in the fight against uh, COVID nineteen. Yeah, I, I I don't know any like midterm results. I know that this chloroquine, uh, atitromycin, which is an antibiotic combination, it's used, yeah. and I, I actually know already that it's also used in off label cases here in Finland as well. Mm. Uh, 
but I I don't like some claim that's that helps a lot. Some say it's not, and but we don't have definitive proof on that. There is multiple clinical trials, like a bunch going on, yeah. and of course we all hope that there is something, especially for those who, because we know that there is so high percentage of patients who end up. Uh, to the ER and hospital, mm. hospitalized, and then they it's high percentage who eventually enter the ICU and high percentage of those who eventually die. So we, of course, hope that we can stop this, this, uh, this happening, this progression of the disease mm. for those who end up to the hospital. So, uh, so I'm, 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 of course, positively looking that we will find a medication which helps these people. Uh, but of course, eventually we need the vaccination. Yeah, uh, that's that's like for uh, like a big big uh, on, only big. Uh, what I see, it, it's the only kind of a solution, long term solution for this. Of course. So, of course. yeah. So, uh, I I I I don't I haven't seen any real scientific proof on Corrigin yet. But yeah. why not? Uh, so uh, there could, could be, but I, 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 there's. Um, but I think that the nice thing that there is now this high, uh, I think, kind of a high uh, trust. Also, it seems that there is now bigger trust for science and also for like pharmaceutical industry as a whole yes. because there's yeah. a lot of conspiracy theories always. But I think now people understand that like I'm Corrigin at Bayer, who actually is one of the manufacturers of Corrigin. Mm -hmm. So so who donated it to the US for test usage. So I, I, I'm just like um, it's I'm I'm glad that people start understanding that we actually are really trying to help help here. Exactly. And we have and we have and we have the resources to to actually do these clinical trials and we, we and this is something we can react and we have like uh, all the systems and and we know how to do it and we can do it quickly and and and, and i'm just hoping that we get positive results soon out soon and because that's quite high burden for the physicians currently that they they don't have any viable treatments for these patients. Yeah. So it's it's quite hard for the physicians and for also for their how they can like um, uh, have this that they won't burn out in the current situation. That they it's it's much more comfortable if you have some kind of a uh, like treatment, even if it doesn't work for everyone. Well, like medications usually don't. Yeah. But yeah. So I guess I, but I. Yeah, I guess that that makes this situation, you know, so um, difficult is the fact that we actually don't know what, what is effective and which medications have efficacy um, against this uh, COVID-19 uh, disease currently. That leads us uh, quite nicely, you see, into uh, what you just mentioned, which is the vaccine development. Um, and I know, uh, well, I know I've read that there are multiple, multiple, you know, different clinical trials started um, and some vaccine uh, and, and vaccines being developed by different companies across the world. Um, what do you see the current situation like? I'm uh, probably your uh, your um, employers working on it and multiple other um, biomed companies are, are working on it. Um, how does it really work in vaccination development? Because people want obviously the vaccination yesterday. But it does take a long time with clinical trials and all that. So, what is your view in terms of this? 
Yeah, I, I first I have to state that Bayer is actually we don't we don't uh, develop vaccinations. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So that but actually yeah like you said vaccination it's it's so different than like for, from regular drug mm. development. So you actually you have to like that's something you have to stop before the disease <laughs> before the disease. So that causes a lot of like extra let's say. Like uh, it's quite logical. So you have to give the vaccination for a person who didn't get the disease yet, and then you hope that you get enough cases that you get statistical significance in your uh, like results that it actually provides them this uh, immunity for the disease. Mm. So basically, you it's of course if you have a high how the more you can recruit to the study the faster you can get the results because if you are event driven like how many basically you want to collect certain amount of covid-19 cases and see how big percentage of them in the current timescape has been there you can increase the power that maybe you don't have to have a so long follow up just by the statistical meaning like i haven't been myself in vaccinations vaccination studies at all but but and that's why i'm i'm also like uh, promoting the idea now that uh, if, if if it's a possibility for anyone uh, like that's something anyone can do that if you are recruited to take part in this kind of studies vaccination studies or drug trials for COVID-19 I would urge uh, like everyone to consider joining those studies because this is something anyone can help us so that's always in the studies that more you get people in the study, the quicker you get the results. Mm -hmm. So, so that's I think it's it's quite important, like uh, to know that it's it's also like it's always a struggle in the clinical studies that you get people enrolled to the study. Yeah, so a, that's a, that's a good point. And and in terms of um, the development timeframes, you know, developing vaccinations um, usually last years, um, even. I read an article which uh, described the, the vaccination. I guess it was for SARS, uh, the the SARS-CoV-1, which was the previous cause the previous um, SARS epidemic. That uh, there was like a lot of vaccinations were started to be developed, but I think they didn't even reach clinical trials before the the epidemic just ended. Um, so it it is a it does take a very long time to develop a vaccination because effectively what you're doing is you're um, or at least uh, many cases is that you are um, you are um, injecting um, like disarmed particles of the virus or such sub substance into a human being, wishing that they don't get like seriously ill and get the, gain the immunity um, against that specific virus, for example. And then obviously to to test the safety of such an such a vac vaccination would naturally take a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's why, of course, you have to take some kind of a risk in the safety profile if you want to. That's always like if you want to proceed fast to the, like to have the approval for a vaccination or a drug, new drug, uh, you have to take risk in the safety profile because you cannot observe all the long term uh, events happening. So that's always risk. Uh, like you said, uh, this is not interesting. This uh, previous uh, coronavirus, where that people were developing drugs, uh, and yeah, that's a, also a good question in any any disease in vaccinations. So, uh, okay, if.
the pandemic ends or epidemic ends and the virus actually is gone from the circulation. So then it stops because you cannot even proceed if you want to the final stage because yeah, you true. don't have any cases anymore. But <laughs> but I think that the how the many companies are approaching is this this now is that they have have like similar virus vaccination done for I think uh, one was I don't was it for chickens or like something I I read like they have already this kind of same vaccination for animals done. And now they they have this whole pre like basically the preclinical thing is done and they know how 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 the molecule or how the what's in the in the in the vaccination causes this immune response and then they can like quickly do a proof of concept first in human trial and see that they can get similar kind of response from human system so there is uh, that's how you can fast keep basically these pre phases that if you have something similar already for animals and uh, uh, mm. so that's could be one one yeah. solution well, at least that's what some are trying to do and, and ho- let's hope that it's a, a good solution i think in, in a kind of a biological sense or in like 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 basic molecular biology it should work like that yeah maybe of course maybe. yeah so yeah but it, it yeah if you have to start from the scratch i think there's no possibility to be there so fast but now at least com- some companies are saying that we could be there in one or one year or one and a half years mm-hmm. and and who knows whether you know in one and a half years whether there is any more um SARS-CoV-2 left in uh, left in circulation and i guess that that yeah. pro- proposes another type of risk for the companies actually producing this but um still the right thing yeah. to do yeah it's the right thing to do and i think i i think people uh, are appreciating and should appreciate yeah, yeah. more that, that people there is so many companies now actually going for it and and that's like i think it's i i think that's a really good thing of course there's now because it's so widely spread and and uh, so i think many at least many epidemiologists are now thinking that it's it's quite low quite low probability anymore that this uh disease will like disappear like the previous coronavirus viruses so they it's probably will stay in some way of uh, especially if it's this kind of a typical mild symptoms so it then it really could be something like a normal <laughs> flu even or something yeah yeah would you would you um what what's your view on the the proposal that this might become a seasonal um thing as well I, i've read some articles about the potential seasonality of this yeah yeah why not we have uh, examples we have even those viruses who skip that they are not year every year seasonal so mm-hmm. they can be every second here or something yeah. so but we even we don't even understand a lot of those seasonalities how they actually work Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, there is a probability, of course, but it's it's really uncertain. <laughs> so in that way, we are in an unprecedented situation sure. because we don't we we don't know any seasonal. At least I don't know I heard any seasonal coronavirus infections in humans, yeah. but in yeah. animals, I think there's more. But I'm not so mm-hmm. familiar about that. Okay. All right, let's so let's let's um dive into a little bit about um you know what can we do as individuals and and families I guess currently um as we're living the 3rd of um April right now 
uh, majority of the world is in some shape or form in a in a lockdown or staying stay at home uh, recommendation. Um, uh, do you think that this is uh, this is the proper approach? And and you know uh, what benefits do we actually get from staying at home, from your perspective? Yeah, yeah. I, I, of course, we get the benefit that we we don't we can really flatten the curve and we don't get so many cases uh, in so at so fast pace, so fast pace. But uh, but of course now after the peak, at least we should have now developed the ways like this immune certificate or something mm -hmm. that we can start like uh, like releasing this these uh, isolations and restrictions and may, uh, letting people go to work and, and so on. So I think that's the case where we really need uh, collaboration and even like <laughs> some kind of, um, I don't know, would it be that uh, especially like big corporations would buy, pay their employees to get these certificates how who would be the one who finances this how we will how can we uh, like kind of democratize also the idea in a way that also the low income countries can can utilize these methods and and so on so uh, what what i would like to see here and of course it's not what i can decide is the really global kind of acting and we could really really do this kind of a way to to unravel the thing because the world is so connected by the social media yeah, and so yeah, on. Yeah. So if that's, I think many even politicians don't really realize that the people don't. And I think that's why it's it's also caused maybe this kind of a really one thing why people now in the end behaved quite same in many countries that there is this pressure from social media and people read the news and they are so aware what hap what's mm. happening in other countries. So they they basically think of especially if you are in a, in a like a smaller country, you would think that we should behave same in the same way as the bigger ones. So so this I think this is maybe probably it's the biggest challenge of a of a century yeah, for yeah. the the global like uh, like like World Health Organization, UN, whoever that how we manage this situation yeah. uh, and it's not only about how we manage the health and it's also about whole political stability and and uh, and conflicts and so on so there's this is like really high and i, I i'm just hoping that people will hear that utilize all the expert knowledge and all the best brains there is in the world to cope yeah. with the situation it does. I mean, there there seems to be some indications, at least, um, you know, the best brains in the world um, all coming together. You have companies starting to, you know, uh, uh, produce ventilators and, you know, inventors, engineers, everybody's starting to get behind this, which is good. I guess um, one of my concerns, which you mentioned, too, is the social unrest, which might um, which might pop its ugly head. Uh, up from somewhere. I hope that doesn't happen too much, but um, I guess we, we don't know yet because we're in such early stages of uh, of this pandemic at this stage. Now, in terms of, um, I guess there's no running away and there isn't a running away from the fact that social distancing and staying at home is is the, the key that 
our, us as individuals can actually do to stop the spread and help the community, help the country you're living in to get out of this situation the best uh, best way, right? Because that, that pushes down the R0, uh, and which then protects the healthcare system and which then over time will, will hopefully um, you know, lead out of this uh, this pandemic uh, situation, correct? Yeah, yeah, and then then have this gradual release of restrictions. Yeah, uh, of course, it's it's indiv individual base. You can uh, there is many like I like we discussed about uh, contributing to trials. Oh yeah, for example yeah. that uh, it's not only these uh, drug trials. This is also for these device trials, like the uh, the current. Uh, predict all trial with aura ring for example mm -hmm. uh, that's I think really interesting piece where everyone anyone who has the aura ring basically can uh, join this study where they try to find uh, like a digital biomarkers basically for covid 19. Uh, indeed and that, that's by the way an interesting topic to discuss um, in terms of um, um, biometric markers towards uh, covid 19 um, um, there has been some some studies around heart rate variability um, changes before um, a, a viral infection actually could cause any symptoms. Um, what is your view on on this? What could and what yeah, other yeah. Um, biometric changes could we could we potentially monitor? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really like something we should look at because we know that if, if there is a stress in this in in this like in our body, if we have a stress re reaction, the HRV usually goes down, and and the question is of course now, in, for not maybe in any viral infection, who has the which has the incubation period, but now of course especially for the COVID nineteen. That what kind is how strong is this stress reaction in the body, and and is it something you can measure by HRV before the symptoms arise, mm. and if it's possible, uh, that could be something we could maybe tie up with uh, like immunology testing, immune response testing, and or or PCR, and then we can like. Uh, this golden standard PCR COVID-19 testing and we maybe we can pinpoint the cases and help how people do their quarantine or isolation and maybe even extend this this uh, idea of um, immune immune certificates so yeah. maybe we could even release people in the wild <laughs> in the wild uh, who who are not immune yet but they can prove by their data like bio, digital biomarkers that they are not currently at least uh, but or they cannot prove it but they can show that in low they have a low probability to be spreading the COVID-19. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah so we may be able to uh, do this kind of risk, risk mitigation and release more people from their uh, isolation measurements and so on. So I think that's an interesting approach with HRV. Of course, you can combine that with um, like temperature is quite yeah, clear yeah. already. That's uh, that's a red flag basically. If you have, a, you should at least observe does it go down or not. And and actually, you can even if in in like primary viremia, you can have a, a little bit of temperature and then it goes down back again yeah. in the beginning. So that's interesting. Def definitely temperature is interesting. 
then other things of course if you think about more like um, when you should go to the hospital and so on you can measure breathing like respiratory rate yeah uh, and and so that's that's something you can from the devices already certain devices get already so there, these are few examples and then then there's something you can it's not only the numbers you can actually analyze the curve curves itself yeah and, and and that's something which you can do with the current advanced analytics and you can find something that's not even in the current literature because it's all mm-hmm. it's still developing field so i think there is a potential uh it's not of course it's a hypothesis that that we could do this but it should be looked at uh, because even if this goes away we can have this primary uh, like wave of covid-19 we can have second waves or third waves or then we can have a new virus like we i think we had we discussed in the in in this um, podcast already earlier that we don't know will this happen again after 100 years yeah, or yeah. maybe it happens after 5 years yeah. a new virus again or yeah. 10 years we don't know because this, the whole thing is the whole situation is so different than 100 years ago we have so many people in the on the planet already and then yeah and it, it's interesting as, as we talk about this because then you could technically um, um, benefit at least a little bit in terms of early detection of any viral infection or, or any you know just like a normal flu as well um, by monitoring your your biomarkers um, uh, from uh, from your wearable devices, such as the Aura Ring, for example, which is an excellent choice. Combining that with uh, with, for example, the Healthzilla app, um, obviously uh, a shameless plug, which you can measure your HRV from the phone camera as well, even though you don't have any um, wearable devices. But maybe there is a future for this, um, and obviously we don't know what what the efficacy um, and and scientific um, like proof to that is in, in the longer term, but at least some indication and interesting data um, could be could be gotten out of this. Uh, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think also that, like, uh, I think, uh, like many critics say that, yeah, you cannot really uh, distinguish is this uh, stress response because of the infection, or do you have like a re- really hard situation in the work or in your personal relationship, true, true. or so yeah. on. But but the thing is that we are, I think that's uh, always to be we are in this at when we are working, especially in this population scale. It's more about uh, probabilities and and like how like I think flattening the curve is a nice idea because people know it already. Mm. So it's it's kind of a credible thing. We are not aiming to be hundred percent anything. Yeah, we're just aiming to like uh, have the optimal solution. How we can release people to work normally, be in school normally, and and keep up the, like economical situation up so companies don't go bankrupt and simultaneously we preserve that our healthcare uh, resources are like uh, available and not overwhelmed so so i think that's the thing and it, it's not really that we have to be certain every of course if a person knows already that he has a personal stress situation and and hrv is down uh so that's quite of course then if you have a temperature that's a different thing then it's quite it would be quite rare to have temperature of because of that yeah. but it, yeah but still but still it's kind of uh you 
people have to acknowledge that even and even you can if you want you can even put it in the uh, app for example and ask that we notice that you have uh, decreased an HRV is it because of uh, do you have any like other like reasons why it could be like this and you can have Absolutely. like multiple choices and then you can say if you don't then maybe you consider could it be this or some so it's it's kind of a more like how we can optimize the situation now it's yeah. like 100 percent basically in many like in singapore i think mm -hmm. it's not like uh, it's not too done in kind of a data-driven way it's just done like in this so we have to find a way now when we now get collect collect the data and know how the disease yeah uh, what kind of uh, like how it behaves then we have to change the approach and there is hrv could play and, and healthzilla could play a role again yeah, yeah. as well but it is interesting um this whole approach it, it's sort of more towards being like a flexible society and i like the 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 anecdote you mentioned about uh, you know being um, either or, i.e. 100% locked down, like many of the countries and cities in the world are now, versus uh, having this flexible data-driven approach. And I, it, it does, you know, to me, it does sound like a, like a very feasible future, uh, at least towards managing these, because uh, none of us actually know uh, what Mother Nature can produce, um, can produce uh, continuously mutating different types of viruses um, every hundred years or 150 years or every other year you, you know you, you can't can't really know the only thing we can we can try to build are flexible models how the society and us as human beings can can um, uh, respond to these threats um, um, in a in a way which doesn't break the the normal cycle of life um, um, you know as well mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you you would really <laughs> nicely put it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's good. Summary. Well, the <laughs> indeed. Well, I guess the truth is, you know, we are in the beginnings of of this whole pandemic, and uh, we as as human beings, individuals, and families, we just need to remember to carry our own own uh, responsibility and stay at home, flatten the curve, which has been mentioned by you see many times over this podcast, which basically means that, you know, don't meet, don't go out and meet, meet your friends, just stay home, um, stay away from people and try to keep healthy at the same time. Yes, this is an unprecedented and a painful situation um, to be apart from your, uh, you know, friends and, and going out to, to a bar or restaurant or dinner with, with, uh, with family and friends. But it is necessary. Um, at the end of the day, it will save lives. It will save healthcare capacity. It will save your neighbor, um, your brother, sister, mom, mother, you name it, and even even potentially yourself as well. So let's play our part in terms of um, um, taking this social distancing, the hashtag stay at home very seriously, and let's, uh, let's uh, fight this together um, as it is. Now, Yusti, uh, just to conclude, um, what because so many of us are currently um, staying at home, obviously yourself and me as well, working from home and billions of other, one, uh, other ones as well across the world. What would be your sort of three top tips to stay healthy and sane um, during this stay at home or isolation um, period of, of the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. I think the well, first one would be that don't demand so much from yourself, especially if you have like uh, children at home, uh, so you just have to, like, give yourself a little bit room 
to also for your free time and like relaxation so you just have to let go a little bit uh that's the first one second thing is that is that if you have any possibility please do exercise do aerobic training and 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 like strength training in, in a like moderate way so don't overexert yourself because if you train too much that actually decrease your immune levels so please don't but do keep yourself fit in a way you can if if that's in any way possible and and i think like third thing what i would recommend doing don't limit your access to uh, media like covid-19 news and and limit yourself mostly to the expert news on topics uh, i think it's mostly causing unnecessary pain to real read so much in social media about covid-19 and so on so so i i, I would try to keep my thoughts if if we just do things that keep my thoughts out from the covid-19 and concentrate on the the really important topics your family your work and and everything you can do at home or or outside so so that would be my three <laughs> three absolutely excellent points you know there's the physical aspect there's the mental aspect as well I, I i love the point which you mentioned about the focus on the media uh, really because that will have a massive impact to your mood and to your fear levels and all that and it doesn't help at all so it's a it's a really crucial point you raised um right you thank you so much for joining us this discussion has been such an in, uh, interesting interesting one i've learned a ton myself already um thank you so much for joining us you today yeah thank you nico it was my pleasure <laughs> all right guys um that's it for healthy life episode number 12 um on this weekly podcast we shall return next week again and hashtag stay at home stay safe stay healthy and keep others around you healthy as well talk to you soon peace This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.